0: Okay, we're gonna get rolling. Uh, we are here on week two. Uh, we can. Um, can someone turn off the announcements? There. Um, it's okay. Uh, Iron, knows how to do that. There we go. Um, we're here on week two of a class called uh, C- "Connected: Wisdom for a Wired Age," and we are in this class considering technology, media, the internet, human communication. And what uh, wisdom principles from God's Word, uh, how those might direct us as we interact with, with this world. And uh, it was very interesting that in our first week of the class uh, on technology, uh, Jordan got to use a fair bit of it because he recorded his, uh, the class at home. He did a screencast. I don't know, if, I, I think more people have listened to it than watched it. Watch it from last week. It's pretty great because you got he recorded the screen and it was just his PowerPoint slides, but it will draw with the pen and all that. It was it was pretty cool. But yeah, those of you who listened, uh, what were some of the big ideas from from the first class that that, that Jordan introduced uh, last week in terms of, of technology and um, and and what what sort of the big story of the Bible, how that interacts with technology, or some of the big ideas from last week. There's an amount of creativity that makes technology beautiful. It's not just our phones, it's microphones, you know, glass. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Technology is. It, it, there's a lot. There's a lot. Of, and, and an exercise that's great to do if you haven't done it yet is is to pick a spot in your house, look around, make a list of every piece of technology that you see, and you'll realize it's everywhere. Uh, everything around us right now that is not an open field, either is or is a result of technology. And, uh, and and so where does technology flow from? Technology flows from the creation mandate that God gave to Adam and Eve, telling them to subdue the earth. And so uh, as, as, as humans do that, as they take the things God has made, and they cultivate them, and they make new things out of them, uh, they're fulfilling the creation mandate. That's why we can't help but uh, but but produce technology because it, it it's baked into us. So is technology uh, is technology good or bad? Again, thinking back to some of the things that that Jordan talked about last week. Which is on our website. If you haven't listened to it yet, you got to go back and listen to it. Is technology good or bad? Yes. <laughs> the answer is to is it good or bad? Is is, is the answer is yes? Uh, we see many examples in Scripture of technology being used for bad purposes, and we see many examples in scripture of technology being used for good purposes. Bad purposes, the Tower of Babel, the cross, that was a, tech, that was a form of technology used to kill someone, it was the cross. Think of the nails that had to be mined from, from iron and, and forged and, and, and the, the, all the work that that, 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 that took. Uh, think of the Tower of Babel, right? But also think about technology being used for good purposes, like Noah's Ark. That was technology. Think of the, the, the building technology used in the temple or the tabernacle. So uh, we can't say it's good or bad. Um, we can't say technology is everything. We can't say technology is nothing. Uh, and so here's, here's where a lot of this is going for, is that... Uh, so. Uh, some of you here are, are, are too young to, to remember this, but, um, or to know about this, but back, back in the 1970s, Hal Lindsey wrote the book, The Late Great Planet Earth, and, and it got a whole lot of people excited about the fact that Jesus is coming back really soon, which is, that's a good thing to be excited about, but it was paired with a certain way of interpreting the book of Revelation, uh, you know, where like, oh, the flying scorpions must be helicopters and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, pairing, t- trying to interpret the Bible through the lens of the newspaper, and, and what, what that tended to come with was this great fear of technology, because, oh, Russia's developing this new stuff, well, that might be fulfilling this prophecy, and, oh, they're coming up with this mark of thing, well, that might be the mark of the beast, and, and this sort of interpreting the Bible through the lens of the newspaper, and the effect was making a whole lot of people really scared about technology. Oh, they're, they're cloning embryos now. We're good. And this idea that we're breaking beyond the bounds that God has put on us, and we're and it's really scary. And it's the end of the world. And now, no. can technology be used for some very horrible things <clears throat> like atomic bombs that could theoretically bring the end of the world? Yes, but can that same technology be used for really great things like providing energy to Ukraine when Russia cuts off their gas supply? Yeah, I mean, that's part of why, um, uh, I meant to say Romania there a second ago. That's where my sister is. And part of why Romania still has power after all the the junk going on with Russia is because they've got nuclear power plants. So again, we we don't want to be afraid of technology, but we don't want to uh, embrace it as our savior. Uh, One of the other last key ideas just summing up is, and I know I'm not hitting everything, you've got to go listen to it, but God is sovereign. Now, God is neither the author nor approver of sin and yet He is sovereign over it. He allows it for wise and good reasons. And so there is nothing we can do with technology outside of God's sovereign plan and sovereign But it well, doesn't mean that everything we do is good and that He approves of it, but He allows it as a part of His wise and sovereign plan. So um, those are all important ways to, to be thinking about it. Now today we're... we're each of, each of these classes sort of builds on one to the next, and uh, today we're talking about media technology. So this is not all technology, but media technology is a very specific uh, form of technology. It's one of the forms of technology that, that we are surrounded by today, media technology. And what I'm going to be talking today is, is the idea that media matters, and uh, that's, the, that's the talk That's the the title for this talk, for this class, Media Matters. Um, Much of what I say today is not original. Much of what I say today is me uh, relaying to you some stuff that I've learned and have found very helpful. A lot of it coming from a book written uh, over 20 years ago. Well, no, over almost 30 years ago. Okay, man, this this is wrecking me. Uh close to 40 years ago now, by Neil Postman called Amusing Ourselves to Death. Have any of you read that book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, by Neil Postman? Yeah. Okay, I, I didn't think so. Um and and I would really encourage you to read it. Um but it just blows my mind and you'll hear why as we start talking about it. I was just uh I, I read the book when it was over twenty years, or just about twenty years old. It was written the year I was born. Um and, and many of the ideas I'm going to be sharing today come straight from that book, so I'm just relaying stuff to you, but then at the end we're going to then talk about some of the implications for, for discipleship. Here's the big idea uh, that, that Neil Pulsman starts off with in his book, and, and he, he, he gets this from another guy who's actually a Canadian thinker called Marshall McLuhan. The idea is that the medium is the message. Have any of you heard that phrase before? Sounds, sounds familiar, right? So what does that mean when we say the medium is the message? What, what are we actually saying? What is a medium? When we say the medium, what is a medium? How information is related to you. How information is related to you. So media and media are, are, are quite relate, uh, related to each other. So if you think you've got person A... Uh, and person B, and he wants to get a message to him, what are the different ways he can get that? Get a message to him? So he's got message X. Let's say he's got message X. It's in his brain. And he wants to get message X into this guy's brain. What are some ways that he could do that? He could say it to him. He could use words. He could speak words. Let's put it this way. Uh, what are some other ways he could get information to him? He could write a letter, okay? So, written words. What's other ways he could communicate a message to him? You're an interpreter. Okay, but, but that interpreter is going to be using probably one of these two forms, right? Hand gestures. He could use hand gestures, okay? So, let's say sign language, <coughs> which includes gestures. On the telephone? Okay, now that's going to be using written words, but that, that is now introducing another form of, of technology in there. That's actually important uh, because if he's going to use written, or if he's going to use spoken words, a part of that is going to be body language, right? So if, if he's going to say, "Hey man, how you doing?" Or, "Hey man, how you doing?" Right, same words, but the body language and tone of voice. So the telephone eliminates body language, and so that does change the form of, of communication. Maybe one or two others. Okay, uh, how about he could, uh, draw pictures about it, like, like, like pictures with symbols that that would communicate it. So, uh, I hope that you have a good day. He could draw a picture of this guy having a really good day, and then pictures that would communicate that this is his desire, okay? So he could use he could use pictures, he could make a video that could include some of these different forms. Uh, We could go on and on. These are, notice, so here's here's what's important. These are in between this guy and this guy. They're in the middle, they are the medium. Okay, so that's where these words are connected. They're the medium or the media. Doug, is this on the video? The the whiteboard here? If not, if if you tap on it, um we can see if not, I can I can move it over. So I I just want to make sure that my fine art gets preserved for all posterity. Uh, Okay, this is the medium. Here's the idea. When we say the medium is the message, how you say something is almost as important as what you say. How you say something, the medium that you use, shapes the message in profound ways. This is something that most of us don't think about. This might be a brand new idea for you, and I hope, I hope that today's class changes the way you look at the world. And, and again, not because I'm so smart, but because I've learned from some guys that, that are really helpful. But the idea is that that, that how the, the medium that we use to communicate a message dramatically impacts that message. So Marshall McLoyne said the medium is the message. Um, uh, Neil Postman, who wrote "Amusing uh, Ourselves to Death, he, he modified it slightly, said the medium is the metaphor. Uh, I'm not going to take time to unpack that. If you want to know the difference there, you can read the book. But here are uh, some examples that he gives. Um, think of a culture, uh, and this, so this idea of the medium being the message gets especially helpful when we think about communicating a message over a, over a distance. Think of a culture where their form of communicating messages over a distance is smoke signals. Okay, so smoke signals were used by, by First Nations people in the state, specifically in hillier places. we go up on a hill, build a fire, use a blanket, and, and the smoke would communicate certain things, okay? What type of message can you communicate with smoke signals? If that's your medium, if your medium is smoke signals, so let's add that to our list here, okay? And this isn't funny, this is serious. So if your medium is smoke signals, what kind of a message can you communicate with smoke signals? A very simple type of message, like, the buffalo are this way, or enemies this way. Okay? You cannot send a poem by smoke signals. You can't do philosophy with smoke signals. Okay? So you couldn't you could try to say, oh, man, I've been reading uh, the works of Plato, or Aristotle, and it's so good. I want to help my, my my brothers over there understand Aristotle. Can you use smoke signals to communicate philosophy? No. I mean, the answer is obvious. But of, of course not. The medium can't contain that type of message. So if you were to choose to use the message or the medium of smoke signals, there are certain messages that you just can't communicate in that medium. So, does right, right, that, that kind of make sense? You, you, you're with me. I want to make sure that, 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 that you're tracking. These are big ideas, but really important ideas. Um, here's something very interesting that, that the Pulsman talks about. My understanding is he was a secular Jew, but he said, I first started to think about these things, reading the Ten Commandments. God said to Israel, do not make images of me, rather... What's the, what's the alternative? How did God communicate himself to his people? What was the medium that God used to communicate with his people? Words, not images. So think, think of how radical that was. In that culture, they came from a culture where idols were everything, and actually where even the, the, the alphabet of the Egyptian people was what? Do you remember? What are hieroglyphics? They're little pictures. An incredibly visual culture, and those things communicated things. So think of when, when they made the golden calf of God. We think, not necessarily worshiping a cow, but no. What did, a, what did a golden calf communicate? In that culture, what did a calf, a cow that was going to grow up to be a, a strong livestock animal, what did that say? What did that communicate? If, if you're saying your God is like a golden calf, what are what, what you saying about your God? Sorry, so there's the sense of fertility there. What, what, what? Like in that agricultural community, what was a cow the equivalent of for us today? Okay, so money, wealth. I'm thinking even practically, what did cows do in that agricultural society? They pulled plows. Okay, like it was like their tractors. Okay, they're big, strong equipment. Strong strength is a huge thing. Okay, a bull. Like that's why in the Psalms it would say the great bulls of Bashan surrounded me, so I want strength. And so when they make a golden calf, it can, can that communicate something true about God? Absolutely, that He's strong. He that's why when Aaron makes the golden calf, he says, "Behold your gods that lets you go to Egypt." He's saying God is strong. Okay, so so get that. What can't a golden calf communicate?
1: Well, not everything. We've just seen it can communicate something. It can communicate
0: strength. It can communicate that He's at His people's service to help them, like a, like a like a bowl is going to help you. What can't a golden calf communicate about God? If you use the, the form of idols to teach truth about God, what can't you communicate? That He's outside of creation. Sure, the fact that He's actually not a part of this creation. The fact that He's holy. The fact that He's eternal. The fact that He is above us, right? You can't communicate those things with pictures. With, a, with, like, you can't use pictures to show that to, to show holiness. You just, you just can't. And so that is why God said, "No pictures, words, word." This is the medium I'm going to use with you because the medium is the messenger, or, or, the, or the medium shapes the message. That's maybe maybe a better way of putting it. The medium shapes the message. Um, And so the Bible created a a people that was word-based. And it's very interesting, as we look at the history of the world, wherever the Bible was cherished by a culture, it created societies that were word-based. One of the things in Amusing Ourselves to Death that Neil Postman looks at is the 19th century, the 1800s, before the arrival of the age of images, the age of television. And he looked at how one of the big things that people would, would go to in those days were Uh, where Chautauqua was which was sort of like a secular family camp it's kind of the idea and they would go there for for days at a time and what they would what they would listen to was uh, political debates between guys who weren't even trying to go for the for the office of president and so he looked at uh, Lincoln and Douglas uh, Abraham Lincoln back when it was just I think a fight for a Senate seat they would debate each other for six hours at a time. And people of all ages, children, adults, would sit there and listen to them debate for six hours. And when you read the transcripts of their debates, it was like, it was just beautiful. They spoke the way that you would write write in a book. And 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 the the, the way that people would just sit and take that in and think deeply and and elect leaders based on their ideas instead of their appearance. Uh, the fact that, what well, think of the average farmer, like, uh, maybe farmers are a but like a laborer in America in the 1800s, what would they do in the evenings? They would read the classics. Books like Plato and Homer were, were, were big sellers in those days. That's what they would do in the evening. After a hard day out of work, would kick up at the fire and read works of classic literature. And, uh, and, and this is the result of, of, of the Bible shaping a culture and creating a culture that is word-based. It's a culture that loves words and thinks deeply as a result of that. Now, new communication, uh, sorry, new media creates new forms of communication. And so in amusing ourselves to death, one of the biggest things that he looks at is that we now live in the age, not of, of words, but the age of images, and primarily what brought that up was television. Um, it started a little bit with, with radio, but television changed everything. Now, what's interesting for most of us is television's old technology, and, like, who, like, who watches television anymore? But, but you're going to see, as we talk about television, you're going to understand some of the connections here. Um, and he, he just talked about the way that television, as a medium, shapes the message that it communicates. It shapes everything that comes through it, because the medium affects the message. Uh, here's some of the, the things that he pointed to with television. Uh, one of the big problems with television is that there's no context. It moves from this to this to this to this to this to this to this. To this rapid fire one thing after the other. And, and so if, think of that, in, if we did that in personal communication, okay? On Friday, lunch, mull, died. Many of man, you know that I sent out an email. If you're not on our church email, let's talk to Julia and get on okay? It's very sad. And at the risk of uh, I almost don't want to say this, but I want to communicate an important point here. So what if I was to stand here and say, Black Swan and died on Friday? Do you like do you like juice? You would think, whoa, like, does that not mean anything to you? Like, that's big and that's important. You've got to take some time to think and reflect on that. And yet by, by packaging something serious right next to something trivial. What do we say? We're saying that the serious thing isn't actually all that serious. You see what I mean? You want to see? Hey, you heard a good joke? There was a massacre in Turkey. This morning. I don't actually know if there was. I'm just making that up. But let's say there was. Hey, do you want to hear another good joke? Have you bought something? Okay, so think of we talk that way. So now think about what, what what television does as as it moves from important stuff to trivial stuff at rapid at rapid fire. Um and and uh, it was interesting. Neil Postman was actually giving a, a television uh, interview about his book, and they're talking about this. And Neil Postman said, Do "You know what the problem is? Is that in 30 seconds, people are going to be watching a funny ad for or something like that." And the, the guy who interviewed him said, "Well, actually, it's more like 10 seconds." So when that form of media takes over, what well, what does that actually say to people? When you have important stuff and serious stuff and trivial stuff and important stuff, boom, 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 with no context and no break in between, it communicates that everything is true, and nothing is important. When you don't have time to reflect and think and chew on everything, on anything, um, when when there's no time to process and to consider the implications of things, like with a book, where you can set it down and think, when, when everything is just this, and this, and this, and this, now this, now this, now this, it teaches us to think in ways that are shallow and trivial, and probably the most important change in, in all of this that television brought was training us to think that everything has to be entertaining. That's what television did: is it squished everything into the mold of entertainment, and so uh, education, politics, religion, everything became entertaining. And if you want one of the greatest examples of that, think about politics. Think about what I shared about the debates back in the 1800s. Six hours at a time, long, deep, going at the big ideas, and 12-year-olds engaged. Think about a political debate today. Think about the fact that a political candidate today can have their entire career destroyed for slipping up in a debate or for not looking a certain way in a debate. You know, what, you know what I'm talking about, right? Think of the, the way that, that the debates work right now, and, and how it's all about image. It's all about performance. It's not about ideas. This is one of the biggest problems in our politically today. Is, it's not about ideas or policy. If it was about ideas or policy, everything in politics would be different. It's about image. It's all about image. It's all about the entertainment factor. Because television transformed politics into, Here's another idea here uh, that, that just sort of um, uh, connects into this idea of, of, uh, of new technologies creating new forms of communication or changing them. Think about the daily news. Okay. This happened over here. This happened over here. This happened over here. The daily news could not exist before the technology to communicate that. So think about it. Back before the telegraph, If there was a landslide in Turkey, when would you find out? And, would your life be any different as a result? Now, right away, I also think, well, shouldn't we care about the landslide in Turkey? But that's, I'm not saying we shouldn't, when we do know. But do you see the idea here is that the technology created a form of communication that we call the daily news that just couldn't exist. We we didn't know about all those things. And really, if you think about today, how, how much do many of those things actually change our life, other than giving us things to talk about with other people? And, and the, the reality is, guys, is that is that, the, is that news is a form of entertainment. That's what we need to understand. The news companies are entertainment companies. We're going to talk about that more in a couple of weeks. That's why certain things get broadcast on the news and certain things don't. It's not really about what's important and what affects your life. It's about what gets people to read the articles and and make advertising dollars from it. The the news is an entertainment business. But even more to the point, Neil Postman says that the daily news is a figment of our technological imagination. In other words, it's not actually anything, most of the time, it isn't actually anything that impacts us. But the technology has created created this form of, of communication um, that has changed just in what we expect uh, of ourselves in some pretty substantial ways. We're going to come back and talk about the news in a couple of weeks in this class. Um, and so here's, what's, here's what's, what's really significant about all of this, is not only did television change how we communicate as a culture, it changed how we think as a culture. Because with a non-stop stream of fast-paced, flashy, Entertaining information, boom, 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 boom. Is it any wonder that people have a hard time thinking and concentrating? Is it any wonder that people have a hard time chewing on things and reflecting deeply on things? Is it any, is it any wonder that that we find ourselves suffering for, for lack of, of people actually thinking things through carefully? Um, and, and uh, it, it's, it's interesting, even, like, one of the art forms I really love is cinema. I, I really love a, a well-made movie. I think cinema is a media an art form that can be used very well. But it's very interesting to even study how cinema has changed. From the 70s, so I, I'm pulling these, these numbers uh, from my memory, and they're, they're going to be a, a, kind of incorrect, but I think if you were to go back to the 70s, in a movie, the average shot, and by that I mean the average... Period of time that a camera focuses on something before he switches to another one was something like twelve or fifteen or eighteen seconds. Okay, so if you go back and watch a movie, like I remember the first time I watched the first Rocky movie, and it's just amazing how slow it is. The camera looks, focuses on him, and just follows him as he walks down a road, you know. And yet today, you know, the average length of a shot in a movie, I think it's, I think it's two seconds. Might be three seconds. Boom, 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 boom. It's the, the visual media has slaughtered our attention span collectively as a culture. It made us incredibly impatient on many, many, many levels. And the onslaught continues. So everything I've shared with you here was written by Neil Postman reflecting on the world in 1985. So think of what new forms of communication do. Think of the internet, where no longer do we need to sit. And, and wait for the TV to show us something entertaining. We can go find what we want. Now we've got social media. Think of, think of how, if the daily news is a figment of our technological imagination, how much more social media? So think of the fact that that today, people have had their, their careers ruined, their lives ruined, companies destroyed, billions of dollars in equity vanished because of a bunch of strangers on Twitter got mad about something. Something that that could not even have existed in years past. And yet now it has such an outsized effect on, on us. Think about how many of us are think that social media is important. That what's going on and what this person thinks about that is really important. When in, in years past we wouldn't have had the ability to even know about that. And would our lives really have looked any different? And... Um, the 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 information that keeps coming at us um, is is that it continues to affect our minds individually and as a culture really really profoundly. Have any of you seen the documentary on the Netflix documentary called The Social Dilemma? Have any of you seen that? Okay, if you have Netflix, you should watch it. If you don't have Netflix, you should get the free month just to watch The Social Dilemma. Okay? So I'm not going to say a whole lot more about social media right now. Because uh, I, I think you really should go watch the social dilemma. As as many of the guys who engineered Facebook and the like button on Facebook and the the next video algorithm in YouTube realize what the a monster they've made. and they realize how social media has created a culture that is completely polarized. And in two weeks, we're going to be talking a little bit a little bit more about that. Um, but but some of the big ideas here is just that all of this visual information the way it comes at us so fast the way it is disconnected from context the way that that there's no time to think and reflect the way that so much of it is irrelevant it is training our brains to think in shallow ways it is training us to have a really hard time deeply reflecting on anything and and it's training us to expect entertainment at every turn if we're not amused we'll move on to something else that is. That, that, that is some of what this is doing to us as a culture. And there's a lot more that, that we can say here. But what I want to what I want to turn my attention to for the last little bit of this class here, um, and I'm hoping we have some time for some questions, I want to think about Christian discipleship in the age of images. Um, here's Because here's what, what where, where all of this gets really important to me is that when we turn to Scripture, we see that God has not just given us a message and then let us do what we want In Scripture, God has determined both the message and very often the medium for that message. So, for example, Scripture itself. What's the message of Scripture? That's another rhetorical question. What's the message of Scripture? I'm asking you guys to sum up the whole Bible, but someone should be able to do it. Come on, we've done enough biblical theology here in the last few years. What's the message of Scripture? It doesn't have to be everything. Okay. There's 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 a great a great way of summing it up. God's eternal plan to gather a redeemed people around His Son. I might say something like that. Okay. So that's the message. What is the medium that God has chosen to use to communicate that message with people today? What's the medium? Written words. Written words as one and. Spoken words. So, if you if you think of uh, turn turn to uh, turn uh, first Corinthians five. Sorry, first Corinthians four. No, first Corinthians three. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 12. Guys, we could go anywhere for this kind of stuff. But think 1 Corinthians three twelve. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words. Now, I hope that jumps out at you after the things we've talked about for the last few minutes. Because when we see that here, we impart this in words. What we should notice is that's the medium. That's the media, or we, we could say that's the medium God has chosen to communicate this truth in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Even go back to uh, verse eighteen of chapter one for the word of the cross. Some of you have, a, have a, an NIV or something else that says message. The, the, the original language is word is, is word. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Um, uh, where are we here? Um, uh, for since, in the, verse 21, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom and please God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. What does God used to save those who believe? what we preach. So we've got message, is the gospel, and what's the medium there? Preaching, spoken words. These things are not up for grabs. God has given us not just a message, but a medium with which to communicate that message. And so, we don't have the option of of saying, ah, Let's switch up the medium a little bit. How about, instead of having a sermon this morning, we'll play a video. And and I don't mean a video of someone preaching, although even that does change things. I know because of my health and COVID, we've had to use that a little bit. I think a video of someone preaching is is better than than nothing. But what I'm talking about is, let's say, like, uh, I don't know, back before Rob Bell was a heretic, you know, people would use, like, the Numa videos. Okay? What changes when we play an entertaining, cool video instead of someone preaching? Everything changes. Okay. What happens where instead of someone preaching, we have a couple of guys on stools having a conversation? Everything changes. Think about the medium is the message. What is going on in the act of preaching? What you have, and this people criticize this over recent years, because in preaching, you've got one guy talking and a whole bunch of people listening. People will often bring that up, like that's a problem, and I go, no, exactly, because the gospel and the message of the word is a declaration from the living God who is King to His people who receive His word like like obedient subjects, and the preacher is the herald, the the this is the word in the, in the in the Greek New Testament, the herald of the living God who comes and says, "Hear ye, hear ye." The king is coming, and the king has proclaimed this message, and you sit and listen. No, you listen with faith and with activity. But preaching is not a conversation, and that's on purpose, because it's the word of the living God being declared with authority to the people of God. Do you see how the medium is the message? And so even if everything that I was going to say in my sermon this morning got said in a cool, slick video, something different would be said. Even if the message was the same, the message actually wouldn't be the same when you change the meaning. So, think again of of the Bible, how God has given us His Word to to listen to. So, I think using Bible apps where you listen to it's actually great because that's one of the ways that would have happened for you. Someone from the front read and we listen. Or as we read it, we receive God's Word and we have time to think about it and ponder it and memorize it and think about the words. Which engage our brain in an abstract way. If we swap that out for pictures and images, we we actually lose an awful lot. Um, think about the personal ministry of the word, us speaking the word of God to each other, and and, and how that how again that that communicates the, the something important about the way in which we know God. So let let's talk here very specifically about one of the areas where I think. Uh, I think we're doing great here at EBC, but I think we need to think. I think this is a bit of a blind spot for our culture uh, in the church: is children's ministries. Sesame Street conditioned an entire generation to believe that education of children should be fun and entertaining and easy. That, that's, a, that's a radical idea. For, for centuries, people understood that the education of children was hard and demanding and important. But now you've funny puppets singing songs, and, and, oh, it's working, because they're memorizing facts. But what are they learning about learning? See what I'm saying? When we package it in a medium that is cutesy and entertaining, what are we actually saying? Now what happens when we take the truths of Scripture and package them in a medium that is fun and cutesy and entertaining. What are we actually saying about what we're saying if the medium shapes the message? So, um, I I may step on some toes here, and I'm okay with that, because I want to prompt you to think. We recently redid our library, and I yanked out the whole What's in the Bible series over What's in the Bible was created by Phil Fisher, the same guy behind Veggie Tales. The content is a lot better. He got some things right. He realized with Veggie Tales, we were teaching kids moral lessons without the gospel. And so, in What's in the Bible, he actually does a really good job of communicating the big story of Scripture. I mean, I think he misses some important points, um, at, but but he does a really good job of communicating the big story of Scripture and how the gospel informs our behavior. Doing it with cute puppets that are constantly talking in silly voices and interrupting each other and moving from one flashy thing to another flashy thing to another flashy thing to another flashy thing. Another flashy thing. What is that saying about what it's saying? Not, not a rhetorical question. When we take the eternal truths of Scripture and package them in something cute, fun, Distractingly entertaining. What are we saying about what we're saying? Okay, good morning, fun. Well, when I'm sitting here listening to you, like, when like you talk on the medium, right? I'm kind of asking myself, like, let's say if I want to talk to you, right? Is there really a difference between, like, say, if I text you? Or call you, or if I actually, you know, not on the door. Yeah. So, Tyson, I'll, I'll, I'll cut text. you off right there. There is because in texting you can't communicate body language, so there is a difference. But let's go. Let's go to the the what's in the Bible thing. Okay. If you communicate something true, what? what but in a format that's fun, cute, entertaining, poppy, distracting from one thing to the next to the next to the next. What are we saying about what we're saying? It's trivial. It, that, that, thats exactly it. That's my big—my my biggest problem with what's in the Bible. We are training kids to think about the eternal truths of God as being trivial and entertaining, even if what we're saying is good.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and and uh, here's a, here's a, a quote from 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 uh, Scott Daniel, who runs a ministry uh, called uh, Religious Affections, and this this was him reflecting on on the What's in the Bible series. And and I think this sums up well what I want to say. He says, Do we realize exactly how our children are influenced and what is influencing them? It is my fear that most Christian parents do not recognize that before a child can even comprehend facts, his affections and imagination are already being shaped. Do we realize that a child's heart is shaped far before he or she has the capacity to comprehend truth? In other words, far before a child can comprehend... Okay, I'm going to skip over that part here. Um, he's just basically see before they can actually understand God and His Word, we're teaching them about those bigger ideas of holiness and, and seriousness and love and wonder. Um, what happens with most parents, though, who see only the need to teach their child's head, is that in order to teach such truths, they are willing to use almost any almost whatever means necessary to do so. So they use puppets to teach Bible stories, never realizing that their children are learning to view biblical truth as something light and trivial. Or they use cartoons to teach moral lessons, never realizing that their children are learning to view morality as something silly or adventurous. The problem is seen most acutely with children's music. Christian parents, educators, and publishers have the noble goal of teaching their children about God and His Word, and of obey Him rightly. But they send such truths to irreverent, trivial, or even downright banal music, forgetting that far before their children learn these truths, they must learn how to express themselves rightly toward these truths. I do not question the noble motives of these people for an instant. But I do question their understanding of how children are taught to worship. Children learn to worship God primarily through participating in rightly ordered worship. Children learn to love God by first learning how to love. Children learn to reverence God by first learning how to reverence. Children learn to fear God by first learning how to fear. And children learn the need to submit to the authority of Scripture by learning to how we should view God's holy word. So guys, I'm, I'm, we're gonna be done here, and I'm sorry that I leave a lot of time for discussion here today, and I'm hoping that changes in the weeks ahead. I'd love to talk to you about this later uh, if you want to follow up with me. If you're I wonder if you might be having a hard time with some of this, some of this might be new ideas. Oh well, just just consider this for a moment. How many decades have, let's say specifically with children's ministry How many decades have we been using the quote-unquote Sesame Street model of light, trivial, fun, entertaining ways of communicating biblical truth? Okay, question one. Question two. What is the state of the Church of North America? How many of our churches are filled with pastors and people who tremble at the Word of God and submit their entire lives to the authority of God's Word? Compared To how many Christians act like the church is there to serve them and should be fun, it should be trivial, should be entertaining and bounce from one church to the next to the next if the music is better here or the preacher makes them laugh a little bit more over here who care way more about style and substance. You look at how people choose a church. People don't pick churches anymore based on their statement of faith. Or how thoroughly the, the creature exegetes the word of God. It's all about style. It's all about how it makes them feel. Is that okay? How have we been influenced? Because we forgot that the medium affects the message. And what I want to encourage, what, I, what I'm hoping to do for you today is helping you think about media technology. And helping you understand that, that, that God has given us a message we don't get to pick and choose and may we be people of the word, shaped by the word, who think and love God with our minds in deep and profound ways and train our children to do that from a very young age. I really am sorry we don't have time for questions but please get in touch. I'd love to talk about this. Uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your truth, your words, in your way. And Lord, I, I thank you that we are a church that is being shaped by the word, by your words. May it ever be so. And may we think carefully and deeply about these things and be dedicated to teaching your truth in your ways, your message, in your medium. And would you help us, our children and us, to tremble at your word, to reverence you, to think over what you and your prophets and apostles have said. And may we re- resist the, tra- the tractor pull of triviality in our culture. And I pray this Jesus in your name. Amen. Okay. Thanks, everyone.